Good morning, everyone. Um, the first reading is going to be taken from Acts. And it's going to be Acts 2, verses 29 to 41. That's um, page 910 in the Pew Bible. Acts 2. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set out one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at his right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know, just know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness, and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added to that day about three thousand souls. So we're reading from uh, Nehemiah chapter 9 today. We're starting at verses 1 to 8 and then we're skipping down to verse 38 to finish the chapter. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Barney, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Serebiah, Bani and, and Shanani and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Shabneah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah and Pethaniah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. 
Blessed be your glorious name, which exalted is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite and the Gershonite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. Now from verse 32. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers and all your people, since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked ways. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruits and its good gifts behold we are slaves and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins they rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please and we are in great distress because of all this we make a firm covenant in writing On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites and our priests. Well, we're going to be talking about um, uh, a revival today. A revival in Jerusalem. But we also, of course, all of us that are here today also want a revival here in little old Foster and Dunkari. So let us uh, listen very carefully to what's happening. Since the churches over the centuries have, have talked about revivals and renewals uh, and it's a conversation uh, within the churches that aren't going to stop anytime soon. So what actually is a genuine revival you might even ask? Well it's obviously that it's well, it's seemingly this is what's happening in Jerusalem here. They really are focusing on the Word of God, they are being repentant, they are, they are understanding their sinfulness. But the revival has have got three components that need to be there. First is the preaching and the hearing of the Word of God, unchanged. And we saw that happening in chapter 8. So if you haven't read chapter 8, go back and do that when you get home after lunch. 
The second uh, part of that is the sorrow and repentance for the sins that we have committed. And we will of course be speaking about that here in chapter 9. The third, the third is the resulting change of life. This is also what we today know as the fruits of the Spirit. That's where we see how the Word of God works within us and changes the way we live, how we react to adversities and how we treat each other. That is what the actual Spirit uh, can make happen within your life. But let us, before we go on, let us pray for insight into this chapter 9 of God's Word. Our gracious and loving Father, we come to you to ask that you will open our minds and hearts wide, that we may take in what we are hearing, that we may come to understand what it means, that we ourselves individually indeed will find an appropriate response to an understanding of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, starting from the top, At the beginning of chapter 8, we are told that they are assembled on the first day of the seventh month. They had had eight days now in reading, preaching and hearing the word of God, causing them in chapter 8 to then celebrate the Passover and indeed rejoice in the mercy of the Lord. Then we get to here to chapter 9 and we are now 24 days later in the same month and it is now time for repentance. It's an interesting one. Normally you would hear the word of God and repent, but 24 days. Now it says in the Bible, Now on the 24th day of this month the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners, unbelievers, and stood and confessed their sins, the iniquities of their fathers. Well, their repentance comes from their understanding of who they are after they, after some time, have been standing before God for eight days and listening to the word being preached to them. To get to this point of taking them the 24 days of preaching, hearing, reading, and indeed the teaching, and a complete retraining, so to speak, in God's ways. You could even call it an intensive training program applied to the Israelite nation in both theology, in God, godliness and also in the application of God's word in their life. Required only because the generations before them had not bothered to read nor apply God's word to their lives and therefore those previous generations also had not trained their children in the way of God. And maybe more importantly, they had not held the word of God in high esteem in all those generations. In much the same way we find today in some churches they really do not actually teach the whole word of God. When we sometimes speak of inerrancy of the word of God, we actually now refer to the understanding that scripture in its original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. What it means for us is, when we read the Holy Word of God, 
We know it is God's word. It's not Solomon, Paul or Peter or Isaiah that has written down what they feel and think. It is word given to them to write down by God. And we need to actually hold to that. Scripture in the original, no, having gone for 24 days, being enlightened in the word of God, not only do they confess their own sins, but they also confess the sins of their fathers. They're not also here, they're not using the sins of the fathers as an excuse for their own sins, but recognise the longevity of the problem of sin. What it tells us today is, we think through this, that they have fully understand the depth of the problem in their community at large. It is widespread and continue to read the whole the scriptures to keep their minds focused. So all through this time they continue to come back to the word of God, reading it and understanding it. As it says, And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law, the Lord their God, for quarter of the day. How would you like to spend some time with me in church for the full day that we can read together and ponder the word in our hearts as we pray together? Another quarter of the day they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani and Shenai. And they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah and Shebaniah and Pethaniah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name which is exalted above all blessings and praise. Well they have just spent some time stating clearly who God is. They press on with a long prayer on confession. Confessing to God to be the creator of all that's in verse 6 then they're covering the whole sordid history of Israel and their failure to uphold the law of God, reminding the people of the mercy of God as he has saved them out of slavery in Egypt, in verse 9. And even when they rebelled against God in verse 16 and 17, he had been merciful, gracious and forgiving. But you... You are a God ready to forgive, they say, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Verse 17. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God, you brought you out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. In your great mercies, God, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. This long prayer of confession continues to list the blessings and the mercies and each one ending with a rebellion. As mentioned in verse 26, Nevertheless they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn back to you to the committed great blasphemies. The behaviour that we are reading about 
are reminded of are indeed a theme that runs the full length of the Old Testament. God's gracious blessing on his people and the people's ingratitude and, and rebellion. Which then brings us to verse 32. Now therefore our God, the great and mighty and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all of your people. Since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day, you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law, or paid attention to your commandments, and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom, and amid your great goodness that you gave them, and the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you, or turn from their wicked works. <coughs> well, these last three verses have spoken of the sins of the leaders of the nation and the fathers, and should in no uncertain terms be reflective in a world that you and I live in here now today. But not only concerned with our country because of where we are heading, but we should be concerned with our churches and our families. For the past 2,000 years or so, church leaders and congregants have lurched from one mistake to the next, giving us today in 24 good reason to refocus on the deep truth of the scriptures that we have been given and what this will mean for us as individuals, as a church, and of course, as a nation, and as we move into the future. question is, what are we today, what are we here, what are we leaving our children and grandchildren? Will our offspring have to come before God yet again and confess yours and my sins? and our unwillingness to trust and obey the Lord that saved us. I sincerely hope this will not be the case, that we put that burden on our children and grandchildren. My prayer has always been that we will be known as a radical Christian, that we will be radical Christians in Foster and beyond, that we will be the bulwark of the true faith and preach and teach the unchanged word of God, all of our days that we will finish the fight and live the life. In verse 36 we are told, Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to your fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins to rule over our bodies and our, our livestock as they please, and they are in, we are in great distress. We could almost pray that today, couldn't we? The people in Jerusalem at this time were also realistic of the fact that they stood knowing full well they were not out of the woods just yet. And that the nature of man is powerful and deceitful. Just as we are today, 
We are human beings. We are saved by the death of Jesus Christ our Lord, but not yet. We must also recognize our own sinfulness and be able to change the life that we lead. And so the Jerusalem, people of Jerusalem are making great big decisions here. In verse 36, 38. Because of all this we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites and our priests. What does history then teach us from all of this and what we know? The first recorded revival in the Bible is in fact in Jonah after his preaching to Nineveh in the year 785 roughly BC. For this nation to be then destroyed by God around 635 BC that revival only lasted 150 years. The next revival in Jerusalem is with Nehemiah lasting indeed not long at all a few years maybe. He had gone back to Susa, to the king of Babylon, but he had to return a few years later because they had gone off the rails yet again. We don't hear of any revival again in the Bible until our Lord Jesus Christ comes about. And then of course at Pentecost as we are reading about in Acts. The Bible then takes us as we go into the New Testament, takes us through years of church planting by Paul and others. And we know that some really troubling times over the next 15 centuries, when finally in Europe, German and Switzerland in the main, we can read of names from the mid-16th century such as John Calvin, Luther, John Knox, preaching effectually in both Switzerland, Germany and indeed in Scotland. Then about 200 years later we find men like Wesley and Whitfield having preached around Wales and England to great revivals and great times of lifting the gods up. Middle of the 18th century we then have Jonathan Edwards in New York. Again, preaching the true word. The common trait among all these men was their faithful preaching of the word of God preaching and teaching the life and death of Jesus Christ and indeed his resurrection, which makes all the difference to the people that are listening to his sermons. Just consider what we read in Acts 2.37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? It's almost as if that question should have been, Brothers, who can we turn to? It's only then that the uh, 3,000 were converted at Pentecost because they heard and understood. Most of them did. It is only also when the Holy Spirit opens hearts everyone will understand what they've heard and are given the opportunity then to respond in kind. Theologians such as Martin Lloyd-Jones put it in this way I've always believed that nothing but a revival a visitation of the Holy Spirit a, a distinct from evangelistic campaigns can deal with the situation of the church 
and of the world. I have never been happy about organised campaigns. I'm convinced that nothing can avail but churches and ministers on their knees into total dependence on God. As long as you go on organising, people are highly unlikely to fall on their knees and implore God to come and heal them. You may or may not agree with that. But the truth is, unless the Holy Spirit is at work within your body and your mind understands there's nothing that they're going to bring you to your knees. What he means to say is this, it will never be my plans and my activities that will cause a change in the people, but only the whole word of God preached truthfully to them. With the events we read about in Nehemiah, I actually think he had a valid point. A true godly revival is a removal of sin and an establishment of peace. That is the truth. There can be no revival without sorrow for sin and repentance. Nations, congregations and people only move forward spiritually and indeed morally in times of revival. There can be no true understanding of sin unless the word of God is read and his law is proclaimed, giving us an understanding that we are on the wrong side of the law. Even the wisest of men in the Bible, Solomon, completely went AWOL regarding the law of God. The whole story of Nehemiah is as valid for us today as it was for churches throughout generations and generations. Israel in 2024 is not a repentant nation. And neither is Australia for that matter. But the important point we can deal with is our own state before the Lord God and our understanding of who Jesus is. Any revival starts with the individual, you. And our ability to read, understand and proclaim the unchanged word of God and the, uh, and the atoning death of Jesus and then his resurrection from the dead. That he is alive today, giving us a second life. Let Foster Tonkari Presbyterian Church be a bulwark of the gospel and defender of the truth always. May we be lovers of the word of God, driven by our desire to trust and obey our Saviour. We all want God to bless this church, and he will, in his time. God always guides his true people to places where he can know that they're going to be in safe hands and will be taught the pure word. Let us as a church and individuals, let us always trust and obey our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our loving Father, he uh, come before your awesome seat of justice. We can only come before you, Lord, humbly with thankfulness in our hearts for the wonderful plan of salvation that you set in place so long ago. We pray, Lord, that we may change for the better each and every day. 
that you may guide us carefully by your spirit, but that you may also rebuke us harshly when we don't. We pray, Lord, that you will guide us all the days of our lives and we will not be ashamed of your gospel, your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.